0: And if you didn't bring your Bible, we'll be putting it on the screen overhead, but it's good to crack open the scriptures. Turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 13. We're going to be reading here in just a moment a familiar passage with regards to the children of Israel. And as you're finding Numbers, chapter 13 has been mentioned several times. We're going to start a new series that I've entitled, We Win, Praise God. I, I want to play for a winning team, don't you? If you had your choice, you'd sign up for the winning team. And the key to all of this is I want to underline the word we. We win. Now, certainly if we win, that means you win. I win. We can turn it personally, but, but I really want to underscore the concept of we. And uh, I believe that will be self-evident here in just a moment. You know, today in our culture, there is an emphasis. In fact, we're in sort of a cultural debate or argument or fight. I don't know what you might call it. But there is an emphasis on uh, the individual. Uh, for instance, even in the church, I'll just give you some examples. We, When we preach the gospel, we want people to come to a personal decision for Jesus Christ. And so we, we look to individuals to make commitments to Jesus. We, we talk to people about their personal destiny. We want people to know about their individual worth and make sure everyone here knows that as an individual, Jesus, uh, Jesus considers you to be of great value, of great worth. In fact, we, we'll use the phrase that if you were the only one Jesus would need to die for, he would have died for you. And so there's this emphasis on the individual. And, and, and even within our broader culture, we are having discussions about uh, individuals becoming entrepreneurs, uh, individual responsibility, individual initiative. And so when it comes to the individual, I want to say up front that, that individual issues are biblical and they are important. God works with you as an individual. Having said that, I want you to also know that there is a biblical thread of truth that sometimes we lose as we think about our own selves and our individuality. We need to be sure we don't lose the truth that clearly preaches that there are some things that only come to pass when we pull together as a people. I'm glad God works in your life individually, but... You need to understand that if you're going to even get to destiny, your personal destiny, that God will use people to help, assist, participate, partner, and uh, sometimes be the ones to open the door. We. There's a we to life in the kingdom. Now, that's not a, a politically liberal thing to say, and nor is it a politically conservative thing to say. In fact, in our current culture, we've got liberals and conservatives going off on their tangential directions and they're losing some concepts that we can get sucked into. And my job as your pastor is to untangle some of these things so that you can understand the biblical framework with which we need to deal. Now, as a pastor, I'm always trying to sense, don't always hit the mark, but I do try to have a sense of what individual needs and issues are. But you do understand, hopefully, uh, maybe you haven't, but I'll remind you of it, that one of the things that I try to do as well is I have to get a sense of corporate mentality. It's not just you, there's also we. And all of us in these days, um, especially in our nation as we're facing a recession, in fact, do you understand that because of recession, I don't know if you study these things, but there's basically in our nation corporate fear. People are afraid. They're afraid to invest their money. They're afraid to spend. They're afraid to hire people. They have all sorts of fears. Not only that, there are people who have lost their jobs and so they fall into depressions. They fall into negativity. They can't find a job. We're told that the current unemployment rate is somewhere around 9.1% with certain ethnic groups having higher, much higher unemployment rates. If you are one of those people that is looking for a job and you're not finding a job, it's very easy to get pessimistic. It's easy to fall into defeat. And when that defeat and pessimism begins to spread and begins to, to infiltrate your, your, your household, your family, your friends, your neighbors, when it begins to infect a nation, all of a sudden things begin to shut down. My purpose Is not really so much to to run for office or to give a political solution. But I am here to help you as a child of God and to help us as the church to step out of the pessimism and begin to get the victory back in our lives again. See, here's the good news. The good news is we are living in the most positive and peaceful days in the life of this local church. And, and one of the things I've just thanked the Lord for much lately is that I get to preach on things that I really want to preach on, but I don't have to preach on them because there's a crisis and I have to. I get to preach on it because it's just what we need to talk about. There's no financial crisis, but I get to preach on finances and that's a, just a great place to preach when there's no crisis. There's not a crisis of negativity in our body but the good news is is if we can be preemptive and proactive then when those days come and challenges will come we are in a far better position to be able to handle them than we would have been if it's just sheer reaction and so for these next several weeks I'm going to help us hopefully as a church and as a people be established in the victory we need to have to navigate the days all of us are facing out there pessimistic discouraging and even at times it'll be in your household and at times you'll run into them individuals even in the life of the church but we're going to find how to keep the victory established in our hearts so this morning we're going to start by me talking about what i've entitled corporate optimism corporate optimism numbers chapter 13 if you don't uh Have your Bible, you can follow along on the screen overhead. This is what we read. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. Now, uh, the Bible begins to enumerate all those men and households Uh, Those leaders that were assigned to go in and spy the land let's leap to verse 27 They come back They spied out the land. They now begin to give the report then they told him and said We went to the land where you sent us It truly flows with milk and honey and this is its fruit. Apparently they brought some back Nevertheless the people who dwell in the land are strong the cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there, which meant there were giants there in the land. Verse 29. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. Oh my. The Hittites, the Jebusites and Amorites. Oh my. Dwell in the mountains. The Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and listen to what he said. This is interesting. I've underlined it and circled it in my Bible. It says this, let us, everyone say us, let us go up at once and take possession for we are well able to overcome it. Interesting. Verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, we. We are not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than... Now, isn't that an amazing... I'm just going to stop there for just a minute. This is just popping into my mind. How presumptuous is that for a few guys to go check something out and then have the unmitigated gall to determine who had the stuff? We can't do it. Verse 32, So they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, uh, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone is spies is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants. The descendants of Enoch came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. We, the power of we, we, we win. Now, it's interesting because Paul would later write in the letter to First Corinthians that the Israelites were given to us that we might not fall into the same potholes that they fell into. He says, read your Old Testament because when you see what they did, it's written there so you avoid it. And so the assumption was that if we would heed their experience then we could avoid some of these problems ourselves. And this is one that is foundational. It's classic. Most of you know the story. They've been delivered out of Egypt. They saw God's miraculous hand move in some amazing ways. Would you not agree with that? Amen. Sure. Moses came in. All of these plagues fell upon the Egyptians. They saw the mighty hand of God. They were released miraculously after over 400 years in slavery. Five million people. Uh, were suddenly organized and mobilized in order to get out of Egypt. And as they're being uh, led out of Egypt, the armies of Egypt are chasing them. And of course, you know the story, the seas part, may I say miraculously, because seas just don't do this, you know. So the sea parts miraculously and and they part through this divided sea. And then the Pharaoh's chariots rush in to chase them. And then of course, the the sea falls back upon them again. And, And all through this happening... Um, they've seen God's hand move in amazing ways. They've seen they've seen uh, uh, God speak on the mountain and Moses bringing down the law. They, they saw the earth open up and, and consume those that were in rebellion. I mean, so many things they've seen take place. But here they are, despite this resume of extraordinary instances of God moving in their behalf. They have this resume of miracles at their disposal, just just really months prior, they're coming up to this land, which represents their destiny, which represents their future, and they get to the edge of this this promise, and something starts to shut them down. Now I want to give you kind of the updated version of what I consider the promised land. I, I heard years ago in the circles I grew up in that the promised land was heaven. Maybe some of you have heard messages like that. Let me just tell you, the promised land does not equal heaven because there ain't no giants in heaven. So I've never thought the promised land, Canaan land, was heaven. But this is what I do believe the promised land is as we make it relevant for today. I believe the promised land has to deal with our corporate and personal destiny. I've taught this before. Whenever you read about the promise and the promised land, I believe in the Jewish mind, what it meant was a good job because, you know, slave wages weren't so hot in Egypt. So they're going to get themselves a great job in a good place. It meant good housing because they didn't have great housing in Egypt. So that's what the land meant to them. It meant a prosperous economy. I mean, they, had, they would have their needs met, the ability to personally prosper, stability. It was a place in their mind as they were in bondage under Pharaoh. It was this place in their mind that they dreamed about, that they could be someday, that they could own their own land, have their own house, have a good job, provide for their family, provide for the future. That's what the promised land meant to the Israelites. But here was the key, and listen to this, because this kind of makes an American Christian go tilt. Here's the key. They either all went in, Or none went in. Now that doesn't seem quite right, does it? Think about that for just a minute. Your personal destiny hinges on the person or the family that's there next to you. That could be good news. Or that could be bad news. There's a yearly struggle we go through in our house every time school starts again. I know that I have uh, several uh, teachers in the congregation, and I understand why teachers do this. And so my, uh, my uh, response to what I'm about ready to share with you has nothing to do with teaching philosophy or anything like that. It's just a struggle that we kind of work through in our own house as the new year starts. But whenever Kalen now goes to school... Um, she has classes, and usually every class does this some in some form or fashion. But there are classes that she will have, or at times projects she will have, that she has to partner with somebody else in her class to do this certain project. And your grade is linked to the energy and the initiative of your partner. Now, it's okay if somehow you get linked up to the valedictorian in fact that's really what you should strive for find out who the smartest dude in class is and make sure that's your partner get the smart one don't get the pretty one don't get the handsome one don't get the popular one get the geek the geek gets the grades So, so we always go through this. And so if you link up to the right partner, that can be a good thing. But let me, let me just say this because it's, this has been every year since I can remember. It stinks if you have Johnny remedial reading as your partner. It stinks. And you know, I just got enough libertarian in me to just sort of cringe at all of this. Because, you know, what happens is, is, this is what you say. Now, I get, now, teachers, just put your scuds down. I get why you do it. I get it. I understand. I get it. I understand. I understand. Cooperation. I understand these sorts of things. But, but there is this piece, and I'll just say it out loud. There's this piece that says, why should my destiny hinge on this person? Why should I be impeded by this person? And at the same time, why should I get necessarily the... The benefit. I mean, we don't mind the benefit. I mean, we all like the benefit if we're getting the benefit, but we sure enough don't want any impediment by being linked up to this other person. And I started to think about that in terms of spiritual precept here and how everybody in the children of Israel was linked to somebody because they either all went in or none went in. Now you want to talk about a feeling of unfairness, because what if I have Daryl Dufus I'm just making up names. If there's a Daryl here, forgive me. I don't mean it. Just, I, it doesn't matter what name I say. Somebody will be here. And, but I'm just saying, if you have this person who is just spirit, spiritually lethargic and apathetic and they don't care and they don't want God's will and they're just happy to be out of Egypt and I'll just plan it here and, and yet you're wanting to pursue destiny and go on to God's best, why should I be linked up to this person? Why? I don't get that. It just doesn't seem real fair. In the way I process things. And I'm here to tell you that in our in our nation, we are processing this very concept. Why should somebody get to sponge off of my hard work? I mean, I understand I'm a pastor, but I still pay taxes. And why should I get up in the morning, work hard, go to work... Be worried about my family, you know, pay my bills, do everything I need to do. And, and why does someone else get to sponge off of me when they don't get up early? They don't go find a job. They don't try to find a job. They're just lazy. I, I mean, these, this is the thing we're struggling with in our society. Why should someone else get to access my success? Why should that happen? Or why should I be held back? Because they're just dead weight. This is We're struggling with this even in our nation. And I'm not trying to untangle all of this because I'll go back again. There are some things that we do as an individual and there are some things we can only accomplish as a group. But I'm simply saying to the church today that as Americans, we have rugged individualism our way to a place where, where it's just about me and, and maybe my few that are here. And, and we've got to be sure we've got a biblical concept here. We've got got individualism so ingrained in our psyche that there are those that are even here this morning who think that the only reason the church is here is for you to get something from us. I get it all the time. I either want to be facilitated in ministry. I have a ministry, you facilitate me. I have an electric bill, you pay it. I need gas in my car, that's why the church is here. I I tell you, I get, I get a dozen to two dozen calls every week from people who have never darkened the door of this church, but they want me to pay their rent this month. We got to understand that I don't mind paying an electric bill on occasion or rent on an occasion. But my question is this, is it, is, am I here just to facilitate you? Are we here just to facilitate a world full of need? Jesus even said, the poor you'll have with you always. Boy, there was no truer piece of scripture than that one. This is what we're wrestling with. And the key is we got to understand that there are some things we must do. People want their way. They don't want we. We. Now, let's go back to the River Jordan. Moses had sent 12 spies to check out the land. Their job was basically reconnaissance and not analysis. Did you get that? Their job was reconnaissance and not analysis. In other words, they were just to go look and bring back the information. Nobody was looking for an opinion. But it turns out that everybody had one. And they gave it freely in front of everybody. Probably a sermon right there. Ten pessimists, two optimists. Ten said, ain't no way, no how. We can't do this. Don't even go there. And there were two, apparently, Caleb, Joshua. I don't know. Maybe Moses had the faith, too. We don't don't know what maybe was going through his mind. But it was ten to two. We're not going to do this. Pessimism runs through the camp. And it runs through that camp like wildfire. Now, Now, remember... Pessimisms running through the camp. You've got two, you've got two that are feeling more optimistic about it. But their corporate, here's the key, their corporate pessimism shut down everybody. Their pessimism caused them to lose the potential battle with the giants before they ever stepped on a battlefield. Are you following me? And and even though there were two optimists there, the 10, the the, the report of the 10 just, I I guess, just overwhelmed the report of the two. There's a movie that was made, I think, back in the mid 80s. Now, I'm going to mention this. I would not recommend it. I've watched the sanitized version. And I guess if you got a sanitized version, I've learned when you watch a movie on television, sometimes if you go rent it, you'll be surprised. So, so you know, make sure you get sanitized stuff, otherwise it might surprise you. But there was a movie back in the mid-80s sometime, it was entitled Wall Street. It had that notable high moral character by the name of Charlie Sheen in it, and uh, Michael Douglas as well. And, uh, you know, the story was about uh, this guy named Bud Fox who was trying to make his way in, in Wall Street. He was a he was a stock trader, and he's playing by the rules, doing what he was supposed to be doing. And he wants to what they call uh, a score with the, the shooting the big elephant, which was the the big the big investor, which was Michael Douglas' character by the name of Gordon Gecko. And he tried and tried to try to get in with with uh, Gordon uh, Gecko, and finally he makes his way in. And, and the long of the short of it is, he's trying to make the pitch of an honest a Wall Street broker, and he finds out very quickly that uh, Mr. Gekko uh, isn't doing it the honest way. He's finding all sorts of ways in order to uh, uh, somehow uh, circumvent the system. And uh, there's a line in there that was an interesting line, and it came from an, uh, a Japanese warrior uh, by the name of Sun Tzu, and he quotes him. It is a legitimate uh, Japanese historical figure. And the line in the movie goes something like this. Gordon Gecko speaking to Bud Fox, and he says, Have you ever read Sun Tzu's book, The Art of War? He writes, every battle is won or lost before it is ever fought. Every war is won or lost before it is ever fought. That was just brought back to me. And while it was a cruddy movie, it was a valid point. The Israelites lost the battle that day when they had a committee meeting. No swords were drawn, no strategy was employed, no seeking God. Their pessimism as a people shut down the promises of God. Isn't that remarkable? God is sovereign. God can do anything he wants. God wanted them in the land. God's desires were were for big, important, amazing things in their life. Yet, Yet their pessimism, like a virus, shut everything down. Now, now, let me just give you a couple precepts here. I'm going to put them on the screen overhead. I'm going to do this real fast. So you write real fast. You know, when I say that, it'll happen fast. Number one, attitude has the power to determine outcomes of battles. You need to understand that if you want to be victorious in your life, it's going to stem first from your attitude. Are you an optimist or a pessimist? Is life positive or negative? What do you foster in your life? Because before you ever step into a battle, you better have the right attitude because your attitude will determine whether or not you'll experience victory or defeat. And I'm telling you, that's in every area of life, whether it's economic, whether it's health, whether it's destiny or career, your attitude has the power to determine the outcome of a battle. God can destine you. Listen to me. He has destined some of you to some victories, but the only thing between you and your victory is not the devil. It's not some family member. It's not your boss. It's not your friend. It's not your church. It's not your pastor. It's not your husband. It's not your wife. It is your outlook. Pessimism or optimism. Number two, attitude is contagious. You got to remember this, man. Attitude's contagious. That's what happened to the children of Israel. Just, just a outlook, a pessimism came and it spread like wildfire. I mean, it's amazing to watch dynamics in people and you can see something pessimistic come into a group setting. And if it's not careful, it just goes whoosh and it begins to spread. Watch it in an office. Watch what happens if someone hears a rumor that layoffs are going to happen. Watch what happens at that office. Whoosh, like wildfire. It spreads. Now, look at number three. I want to put this pessimism and defeat compounds faster than optimism and victory. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? It's interesting how negative news always travels faster than positive news. Why would that be, you think? I think it's that way because negative news flies on the wings of devils. I honestly believe that. I believe that when there's something negative... That that demons can literally carry that thing wherever it needs to go. And it always compounds faster than optimism and victory. I mean, here were two powerful guys, Caleb and Joshua. I mean, these were powerful guys. And yet, their optimism could not turn the nation once that report of the ten came to pass. And then finally, number four, left unchallenged, pessimism ruins everything. It did for them. It kept them out of The promised land, listen, their pessimism, if we got right down to it, their pessimism is what led them to the wilderness. Now, I understand God was a part of leading them, and I understand God's sovereignty and how that works, but truth of the matter is, I believe the Lord was just as prepared to lead them into battle, but it was their pessimism that led them into the wilderness. Now, this is a good introspection moment. If you find yourself in a wilderness, ask yourself this question. What got me there? Listen, it wasn't the devil. And it may not have been the Lord. It may have been something as simple as your attitude. the Pessimism. We, as the church, are going to be heading into some challenging days in the near future. There are going to be giants to face, folks. We're, We're living in an increasingly hostile culture. People don't like us. I'll let you in on a little secret. The media doesn't like us. Educational systems don't like us. Governmental systems don't like us. Why? It's because we remind them. We remind them they are fallen. We remind them that there's more than them. We are not embraced. Jesus said, rejoice when people persecute you. Jesus said that. Do I Am I looking for it? No, but I understand our culture is hostile. And we're going to be facing some battlefields. You're going to face them at your work. You're going to face them at school, young people. This is is a season where people are not going to just smile and think you're all that because you say you're a believer. They're not going to like you. You're going to face your giants. And now is your moment. You've got to decide, can you face and beat the giants? Can you? Well, we need to see today before we ever step on a battlefield. So how do we begin to get our optimism back? I'm rushing. I'm going to give you four quick things. How do we begin to get our optimism back? I'm laying the foundation for the next several weeks. Number one, we have to be reminded that the Bible teaches victory. Victory. It's not, it, this isn't a stalemate. I, I, we are not in this stalemate situation. We are not in a break even situation. We are not, we are not hoping for a draw with the devil. The Bible teaches Victory. Can I read some passages to you? And I'll just let the Word... I want the Word to get inside of you. Guys, post Romans 8, 31. Real quick, post that. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us... Ha! Who can be against us? Keep going. He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us what keep going who shall bring a charge against god's elect it is god who justifies who is he who condemns it is christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of god who also makes intercession for us he's telling us what we got at our disposal who shall separate us from the love of christ shall tribulation now in the Greek. Uh, I wish I could, I wish I could show you the construction because there's an implied no that comes behind it. So, so why don't you just be the sound effects as I go through this? How about that? What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, no. distress, no. persecution, no. famine, no. nakedness, no. peril, sword, as it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, listen, in all these things we are more than conquerors. We win. Come on, go to that next one. We aren't done yet. First Corinthians fifteen, fifty seven, but thanks be to God. Who gives us the what? Gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Next one. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in. Always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us diffuses the fragrance of His knowledge in every place. You understand the reason you're in the environment you're in. Number one is is that when the pressure's on, something sweet comes out. And if something sweet comes out, it begins to produce victory. Next one. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Listen, folks, I've just given you just a few. You've got to understand the Bible teaches victory. Not carnal. Now, don't misunderstand me. Our, our battle's not with flesh and blood. This is, this is spiritual in its, in its understanding and origin. But we still have victory. That's why I look at you and I say, don't settle for anything less than all the promises of God. Listen, Abraham was a hundred years old before he came to his promise. I am sure along the way he felt quite discouraged he wondered what God was doing. Why are you taking so long? It seems like we've been here by now. Lord, let's get with the project. Let's get with it. Time's a-wasting. Hear me now. God doesn't say your victory's tomorrow. He just says you win. And if you'll be persistent, you will win. You will win. We, we, listen, There may be an oak tree, and it may take a year to cut down an oak tree. But the oak tree is coming down. I'm not giving up over an oak tree. That oak tree may be smiling, but his smiling days are numbered. It will come down in the name of Jesus. That's just number one. See, I want you to get your victory back again. Some of you, some of you say, I ain't got a job yet. Well, I'm sorry. Come on, be persistent, arise, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, keep on going after it. You win. We win. All right, gotta go on. Number two, you gotta cultivate that expectation. Cultivate expectation. Do you expect to succeed or do you expect to fail? Do you expect to win or do you expect to lose? Do you expect to press through or do you expect to fall short? This is very, very important. Your expectation is going to be a key to identifying your attitude. The Israelites expected to lose. And the key was the enemy knew that. The Bible says clearly that they were as grasshoppers in their own mind. Therefore, the enemy saw them as what? Their expectation literally had a vibe to it. Their expectation sort of had this this sense to it that the enemy could smell it. And our expectation has to be that God will bring us to victory. Expectation is the biblical word Really, it's the biblical word for hope. If you want to know what biblical hope means, it literally means expectation. Expectation is what links to your confidence. And when you have expectation and when you have confidence and those things merge together, we become an unstoppable army that not even giants can, can overcome or stop. That's when we get to the place that Caleb got to where he'd seen the same things all the other people had seen that came back with a negative report. He'd seen the same exact thing with his own eyes. These ten said, there's no way, no how we can do this. We're just grasshoppers. No way. It was Caleb who inside of him, and the Bible would later say, it was because he was of a different spirit. It was Caleb who said, everybody, shut up. That's what be quiet means in the original Hebrew. Shut up! Just shut up! We are not just able. We are well able. We are well able to overcome it. He was saying, I know we can win. I know we can do this. I know it's possible. Because impossible had been lost from Caleb's vocabulary. Amen. What's your expectation? What are you expecting this year? Are you expecting... This to be, and I know just school just started, so this is why I think in these terms, but is this going to be the the best year you ever had or is it going to be the hardest, toughest, most defeating year? I'm telling you, some of you are putting in motion your very year with your expectation right now. Yes, you are. Number three, you got to carefully monitor your environment. Carefully monitor your environment. It's always helpful... When you can find other positive people. Seek positive people to help you stay positive. You got to remember, there are always professional whiners. They're professional complainers. And you got to understand, they are looking for ears to practice their profession on you got to monitor what's coming in. Some of you, let let me tell you something, I understand you're merciful and you're compassionate and I I get it and you're always loving on people and I respect you for that. I mean, you're loving and helping people. But I'm just telling you, some of you that have especially are exceeding in mercy and compassion, you need to understand that there are people who use some of you like a garbage disposal. Because of your mercy and compassion, they take advantage of it and they just spew garbage garbage at you and praise god for many of you you just you you love god and you're on with it but i'm telling you for all of us there comes a moment when i said no thank you i don't want your garbage anymore i don't want it anymore you can go find some and you know what you'll find out just how true they are in your relationship because i'm willing to bet that if if, that if you won't be their garbage can they probably don't want to be with you isn't that amazing I want to challenge us all. This is just—we don't have a problem. I'm glad that these are good days. I mean that sincerely. Best days we've ever had. But I want to—I want to challenge everyone in the room today. Let's just—let's just commit today. We—let's just—we commit today to be a culture of optimism, a culture of optimism that there ain't no mountain high enough, and there ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. All right, we won't do that. We won't inflict that upon you. No Keep me from you. <laughs> All right. All right. Come on. What? Hey, what can stop us? Nothing. What keeps us from moving forward? There's no impossible in our vocabulary anymore. We can't, we can't look at the natural. We're looking at the supernatural. We're not, looking, we're not looking at earthly resource. We're looking at kingdom resource. It's no longer about just what works in our reason and our logic. What works in the kingdom. Because probably Israel couldn't beat the giants in their own power. But with God, all things are possible. That's why we have an optimistic environment. And then finally, I just want to remind you, we got to remember... The big picture. See, that's the key, I think, to a victory mentality is you just got to remember the big picture. Romans 8.28 is one of my favorite verses. In fact, if you could read it in the original language, it it, it is the best verse in the original. For this is what it says. It says, and we know that all things work together for good. Now, here's, here's literally what it says in the original Greek. It says that we know that god causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and to those who are called according to his purpose think about this for just a second do do, do you love him come on talk to me do you love him come on talk to me do you love him come on are you called according to a purpose talk to me come on we're called we're called according to a purpose So we love Him and we're called according to a purpose. That means that no matter what I face, no matter what comes my way, it could be a major curveball, a major problem, a major happening. It can look like the worst thing that ever came any person's direction. But if I love Him and I'm called according to a purpose, God will cause all things to work together for my good. You got to keep the big picture. You're saying you're telling me that what's happening to me right now is good. I'm not saying that that's good. I'm saying God will cause all things to work together for good. Come on. That's the picture you got to get. In front of you, no matter what you're facing, if you're unemployed and you can't get a job, and I wish I could answer why, but I know this, God will cause all things to work together for good if you love Him and you're called according to His purpose. Listen, we're facing, I put up challenges on the screen, I'm telling you challenges in our project. Can I just share this with you? I I think I shared a little bit of this and and I'm going to be done. I realize i got just another moment or two hey, it's Labor Day weekend, where are you going to go, right? You're already in town, so hey, you can stay a few extra minutes. I got to sit at a table when I was in California at the ADF meeting with Dr. Jim Garlow, who pastors Skyline Wesleyan in San Diego. He took over the church in 1996. Now, add that up in your mind. That's about 15 years. That church had already begun a building project before he got there under John Maxwell, who is the leadership guru and does the enjoy stuff for some of you that might know that john maxwell was the guy that pastored beforehand he was moving to atlanta and they called jim garlow to come pastored we knew jim garlow for years met garlow back in 1986 so so i knew jim for years and we were catching up and and uh, they were building a new building now think about this they'd started under maxwell so jim becomes pastor right in the middle of this project so it had already started prior to Garlow coming. That's 96. They faced every obstacle imaginable that you could face in San Diego County in Southern California. They faced, uh, you know, we have wetlands here. You know, we have wetlands and trees. They have mountains. And, and so what we, what we face and fuss over with wetlands to mitigate, they have to mitigate mountains because you just can't cut into a mountain uh, in California. And so they, they f- were trying to mitigate these issues. They fell into sort of a hostile situation with regards to government officials. Listen to me. I, and, and I sat at the table and I listened to all the things they had to do. Literally a project that was only to cost something like $3 million was the project, I think originally back prior, shortly prior to 96, that, that now had become like $20 million. And I was listening to this story and the whole time I'm sitting here saying, sweet Jesus, don't, don't, don't tell me I'm sitting here listening to this because you've got some word in this that you're wanting to to share with me. But I listened to that 96. Now, now listen, 15 years down the road, we're now at 2011. I'm sitting out there uh, in June of this past summer. And he's sharing all of that. And just now, listen, just now, in fact, I saw the pictures posted were Facebook friends. They haven't even accessed the worship center yet. They're, they're February, it looks like they're going to access of 2012. February, they will access the worship center. That will have been 16 years. Listen to this, 16 years that he himself will have faced all the challenges to get that congregation to the place where they accessed that which was dreamt and planned and uh, uh, purposed even years, several years before he even got there. So I would imagine that was 20 years. In fact, I think at the table he said 19 to me. It was a, it's been a 19-year, he called it ordeal. 19-year ordeal. I realize every pastor has to work through their own theology of challenge. What are you saying, God? What are you doing? How is this working? Did we miss God? Is this your will? I mean, you work through all of these things because you'd like to believe you're always going to see favor. And that's our problem in our circles. We think that if we're serving God, you always get favor. I know it's quiet right now, but I'm going to tell you something. You can serve God and be in the middle of the biggest mess you ever imagined. Hey, you can serve God and be in a fiery furnace. You can serve God and you can be in a lion's den. You can be serving God like Paul and Silas were and you can be thrown into prison. And our problem in the American church is we think that unless there's favor and success that somehow God has left the building. And I'm prophesying to America and America's going to come into some difficult days and the wheat and the chaff are going to be distinguished. We'll find out who's in this for real. Yes, we will. Because the ones that really got it will know this. That no matter what they're facing, it's not the end of the story. And as I listened to Garlo at that table, share all of this, the spirit of God just witnessed to me and said, you know, he doesn't call me pastor, Kevin. He just says, Kevin, Kevin, are you just going to toss in the towel over a tree? Is a tree too big for me? You don't know what I'm doing. You don't know who I'm talking to. You don't know what I'm orchestrating. You don't know what greater, grander purpose I have. It's just not all about your church. I'm going to let you in a secret. Just like it's not all about our church, it's not all about you either. You don't know what greater, grander plan God has going on that's, that, that's just you're incidental in it all. But his kingdom purpose causes you to be instrumental in it all. And if you will keep the bigger picture and realize that God will cause all things to work together for good, you will find the victory. Yes, you will. We will find the victory. There's an anointing here right now. Let me tell you something. There are days you may feel like you're the king or the queen of setbacks. Anybody here ever experienced a setback? I think that's about 100%. Ah, we've all been there. I had some setbacks. How do you know that that setback wasn't just a detour on God's interstate? To get you to another place. That will be beyond what you had originally planned. We win. We win no matter what we win. That's why Paul said for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. (laughs) He looked at that Caesar. Simply saying what are you going to. If you let Caesar. If you let me go. I'm going to keep preaching Jesus. If I live. I'm going to serve him with everything I've got. I guarantee you. And if you kill me. I'll go shouting because I'm headed home. I get to see my beloved Jesus face to face for me to live. It's Christ to die is gain. Guess what? I win. I win. What do you do with a guy like that? (laughs) Go. That's right. And that's the part the world will never get. And that's the secret to our power. We win, no matter what.